Last week we began a new teaching series called Praying for a Change. And in each of these messages, we're looking at a different New Testament passage of scripture that talks about prayer. And then we're challenging ourselves to get better about seeking God in prayer. Last week we looked at some words of Jesus from Matthew's Gospel that challenge us to ask and keep on asking, to seek and keep on seeking, and knock and keep on knocking at the door of heaven. Because God doesn't always answer prayers without our asking, and he looks for us to be persistent in those prayers, and he wants to bless us. Today we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark, and a, a very intriguing statement by Jesus about praying that a mountain be lifted up and thrown into the sea. Now, it's a teaching that's always puzzled me a bit, and maybe you as well, so we'll do some Bible study together in a few moments and talk about the connection between prayer and faith. But let's give this day day to God in prayer, shall we? Gracious God, you give us all good things, and you give to all who ask. You provide to each of us who are gathered in this place today your presence. Bless us as we worship you. God, you've told us that you will reveal yourself to those who seek you, and so we pray that you would show us yourself today. Plant deep within us a desire to know you more completely. You are the one who opens doors to those who knock. So help us to step forward now in your gracious presence, knowing that if we seek you, we will find you. Lord, stir us up so that we don't become too self-satisfied and forget to keep asking and seeking and knocking. Give us faith to understand that through our prayers we can accomplish great things if we believe and trust. God, we pray all of this today in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. New Testament Gospel of Mark, we read these interesting words. Then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you have received it, it will be yours. There are times when the place to begin a message seems very clear, but that's not necessarily the case today. As I studied these words of Jesus, the same question has come back to me again and again. When Jesus talks about a mountain being cast into the sea, how can we take him seriously? In all my years, I've never seen a mountain picked up and cast into the sea. I admit that I haven't done as much traveling as many of you, but I've never seen or even heard of a mountain being totally picked up and cast into the sea. And that's precisely our problem with this text. Jesus invites us to summon the faith to talk to a mountain and command it to be tossed into the sea. Not only have I never seen a mountain cast into the sea, I've never talked to a mountain either. But it's right there in black and white in verse 23. What are we to do with this text? I'm sure our first inclination is to find a way to explain it away, somehow. I read the story of a man who was discussing this text with his young son, and the boy started looking around for things that he could order to start moving. And he wanted to move the lamp, he wanted to move the couch, he wanted to move the bed. The father immediately uh, cautioned his son against tempting God in that way. But this much must be said in favor of the youngster's exuberance. At least he took Jesus' word seriously, which is more than most of us do. Recently I happened to run across an internet site called infidels.org, and it's 
a huge site run by hardcore atheists and agnostics who are fervent non-believers in the Christian faith. And there is an effort on this site to explain what they call Bible absurdities. It's a long list of verses that allegedly prove that the Bible is not the inspired word of God. In Mark 11:23, Jesus' instruction to say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen, is cited as something so absurd that no one can take the Bible seriously. I read another story recently where this verse was taken literally. It's a story about a church down in the Great Smoky Mountains that built a worship center on a piece of land donated by one of their members. It turned out that the worship center was so large that the building inspector would not give the church a certificate of occupancy because they lacked sufficient parking. Evidently, the new building took up the available space and only the only unused part of the property was a mountain adjacent to the church. The Sunday before the new worship center was to open, the pastor called for those who believed that God could still move mountains to come to a prayer meeting that evening. And out of a congregation of over 300, 24 people showed up. After they prayed for about three hours, the pastor said that he believed that somehow God would remove the mountain and the area would be paved in the next seven days so they could open church on schedule. The very next day, a man knocked at the pastor's door. It turned out to be a building contractor from a nearby county. They were building a shopping mall, he said, and needed some fill dirt in order to level the construction site. And he wondered if his company could buy the mountain behind the church. And he added that if he could have that dirt, immediately they would be glad to make the parking, the space into a parking lot and pave it and stripe it. Pastor readily agreed and the new worship center opened on schedule the next week. The person who wrote the story commented that there were far more members with mountain moving faith the next Sunday than there were the previous Sunday. Jesus said, have faith in God. Only four words, four very powerful words. Have faith in God. Yet how revolutionary these words are. A few years ago, Pastor E.V. Hill from Los Angeles preached a 40-minute message on just two words, God is. In his unforgettable style, he pressed home the point that everything in the universe flows from this one truth. Figure this out, you got a handle on life. Deny it, and nothing makes sense. Either God is, or he isn't. And if he is, that changes everything. The voice from the burning bush told Moses to tell the people, I am has sent you. And Moses comes back with, God, what does that mean precisely? I have no idea. And God further explains, I am who I am, which points to God's eternal self-existence. If we know that God is, and that he is the great I am, we know the most fundamental truth of the universe. I read this statement, sometimes when we don't have an answer from God to our urgent prayers, it's because we don't need to know now. Because if we needed to know now, we would know. But there's a crucial part of that statement that I left out, and that's four words that are all important and go at the front of that statement and every statement about faith and those four words are if God is God if God is God that changes everything if God is God then we'll know when we need to know and not a moment sooner 
It's a great old story about Alexander the Great who wanted to reward a philosopher who had rendered great service to him. And he said, ask whatever you want of me. The philosopher took his offer seriously and he told the royal treasurer that he wanted 10,000 pounds of gold. Shocked by such an enormous request, the treasurer refused and he went in anger to the emperor and he said, that man has asked too much, his request is unreasonable. Alexander the Great listened patiently and then he instructed the treasurer to give him what he asked for. He said, he honored me in three ways. First, he believed my word. Secondly, he believed in my wealth. And third, he believed in my willingness to do what I said I would do, give him the money. He has honored me with his great faith. In Psalm 81.10, God gives us a wonderful invitation. He says, open your mouth wide and I'll fill it with good things. Ask what you need, God says, and I'll do it for you. Jeremiah 33.3 contains a very clear promise. Ask me and I will tell you remarkable secrets so that, uh, that you do not know about things to come. So what if we were to ask God to teach us to pray big prayers? Have you ever thought about that? What if we were to ask God to teach us to pray big prayers? You see, much of what we pray is just details, isn't it? The small stuff in life. It's not that the details don't matter. They do, but sometimes our prayers suffer because our vision is too small. And if we truly want to honor God, we will believe what he says and we'll act on that belief by praying large prayers that require a great big God to fulfill them. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. To cast a mountain into the sea seems impossible, doesn't it? To deal with this difficulty, some have supposed that Jesus is speaking in hyperbole and he uses an absurdity to point out the great possibilities of prayer. But what if Jesus' words were quite literal? What if when he says this mountain, he was stand, what if he is standing on perhaps or pointing to the Mount of Olives, a very literal mountain that the disciples traveled many times? For a disciple to cast a mountain into the sea, it would seem that two conditions must first be met, both humanly strange. First, they must talk to the mountain, and secondly, they must not doubt in their heart. So let me ask this question, what's the hardest part about casting a mountain into the sea? Most of us might say having faith, not doubting. But in truth, those things are very hard to do, but I think the hardest part for me would be having the courage to talk to the mountain in the first place. What kind of person looks at a mountain and talks to it? If you do that on a regular basis, people will begin to question your sanity. Yet that's exactly what Jesus is telling his disciples to do. There's a little book by Elmer Towns called Say It Faith. And he argues on the basis of this text and some others that God honors those who dare to say out loud what they are asking God to do. Great leaders, and he offers some examples, galvanize their followers by actually saying things out loud. This is where God is leading us. It might be to raise $10 million for a new building. It might be to ask God to heal someone of cancer. It might be to talk openly about certain impossible dreams and pray openly about what God is speaking to your heart. But 
talking openly and speaking it openly releases God's power in a unique way because it puts the impossible issue out on the table where everyone can see it. As long as we keep silent about our dreams, Town says, they are much like, less likely to come true. And that's really made perfect sense to me. I like the story, and you may remember it, about Babe Ruth, who pointed to the outfield and called his shot before he hit a home run. See, when we speak to the mountain of impossibility, we're doing what Jesus said to do. And along that line, here's a definition of faith that comes from Christian author Philip Yancey. Yancey says, faith is believing in advance, in advance, in something that will only seem logical when seen in reverse. Sometimes, often in fact, God calls us to believe him for things that humanly speaking make no sense. But when we dare to believe God, we see in retrospect how logical it all was. But we have to believe God first, even when that defies common sense. We all have mountains of difficulty in our lives, don't we? Sometimes there are great tasks that are laid before us, and we have little personal strength with which to meet them. Sometimes those mountains are broken relationships, or the mountains of that, that's habits of sin that's built up in our life. Your mountain may involve believing God regarding a health issue that you're going through, or a loved one who is far from God, and how to pray for that person that they might come back to God. It may mean trusting God in the midst of a failing marriage. What's your mountain today? One major part of seeing the mountains move in our life is having the courage to speak to the mountain because we believe that God is able to cast it into the sea. Jesus said, but you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything and if you believe that you have received it, it will be yours. Now this promise has three parts. It's comprehensive. You can pray for anything. It's conditional. Believe that you have received it. And it's definite. It will be yours. Note the change in tenses here. There's the present tense. You can pray for anything. There's the past tense. You have received it. And there's the future tense. It will be yours. What's up with that? We're to pray in the present with the assurance that God has already granted our request, even though the answer may not come until the future. Sometimes in the Greek language, the writers will use what we call proleptic aorist. Now that means nothing, probably to you. To someone who spent about five years taking Greek, it means nothing to me, really. Except that I remember a little bit of, of what that uh, was about. In Romans chapter 8, verse 30, there's an excellent example of proleptic aorist. And it says this to the people of God. And having chose them, chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them, the right, gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Now note the past tense. He speaks of believers as having already been given the glory of God. Now we think of getting the glory of God as something in the future for those of us who live on earth, that we will 
after we're uh, resurrected and we, we have a glorified body and we'll be given a, a spirit in which to glorify God. But the Apostle Paul is so certain of that fulfillment because God is determined that he will do it, that he speaks of it as if it's already done. Two other quick illustrations. Maybe you've accepted a, in, been accepted into a doctoral program at one of the most distinguished schools in the world. It's going to take you years to finish the program, but when your friends see you, they start calling you doctor. But the degree hasn't been completed yet. That's proleptic aorist. Another illustration. As the, 19, uh, as the NCAA basketball championship game between Michigan State and Florida wound to a close in March of 2000, maybe you remember, someone in the Michigan State sideline held up a newspaper. It had a huge banner headline that said champions, but the game wasn't over yet. Someone obviously had a lot of faith in the Spartans, but the game was still being played. See, because God is God, we may be sure that he is at work answering our prayers even before we pray them. That's proleptic errorist. And because God lives outside of time as we know it, the prayers that we pray today are certain of fulfillment yesterday, even though we may not see the answer until tomorrow. Think about that one for a while. It's like believing in advance. You know, a young couple sets up a nursery before they even know they're expecting. It's like the proverbial hope chest prepared by a young woman for the day when she'll be married. It's like buying you know, Christmas presents in September and hiding them till December, waiting for the day. In prayer, our part is to trust God completely while we wait for the answer to come. One other point to be made. Sometimes when we pray, we have a, pro we have a promise of a specific blessing. And we may then pray in total confidence. Often we pray not knowing what God will do, and that is not every prayer falls into the category of verse 24 because God doesn't always give us that kind of faith. Jesus Christ is God, he's king of kings, he governs the universe, and sometimes when we pray, he gives us the faith to believe in amazing things, for amazing things. And other times when we pray, we're not as certain, but we're still trusting that the Lord knows what's best and he will do what's best for us. Prayer is, there's another way to look at it. Prayer is the bow. The promise is the arrow. Faith is the hand which draws the bow and sends the arrow with the heart's message to heaven. The bow without the arrow is of no use. The arrow without the bow is of little worth and both without strength of the hand have no purpose. Neither the promise without the prayer or the prayer without the promise, nor both without faith, get us anywhere. What was said to the Israelites was that they could not enter the promised land because of their unbelief. They didn't believe, they didn't trust. And the same could be said to us about our prayers sometimes. Our prayers never get very far because they're not put up to God in faith. So in light of Jesus' teaching, let me draw five quick applications. When we pray, we should be praying for something definite. We should be praying earnestly, desiring it. We should be praying not questioning God's ability, 
but we should be persevering in prayer and then adding works to our faith. Many years ago, during a drought in England, a pastor was called his church to a special prayer meeting to ask God for much-needed rain. It was a bright, cloudless day, like kind of yesterday was. Blue skies, not a cloud in the sky, beautiful day. Mary came with an umbrella. She said, while we're praying for rain, I thought I should bring an umbrella. Everyone laughed. The pastor even laughed. They patted her on the back. But as they started praying, the wind came up, the clouds rolled in, and sure enough, the heavens opened, and there was a torrent of rain. Mary was the only one in that congregation that went home dry that day. See, it's important when we pray to believe. Not only that God is going to hear us, but that when he does hear, he's going to give us what's best for us. Years ago, I read the story of Cameron Townsend, who was founder of Wycliffe Bible Translators. As a young man, he went to Central America to preach the gospel to those who were unreached. And while ministering to some tribal people one day, he was changed forever. His life was changed forever when a man said to him, if your God is so great, then why doesn't he speak my language? That simple question led to the formulation of a mission agency dedicated to translating God's word into every language on earth. And in spite of many doubters who called this vision impossible, Townsend clung to his vision. He said, mighty faith looks to God alone and laughs at impossibilities. Dave and Carol Fox were one of those couples who in 1954 felt called to go with Wycliffe Bible translators to translate the Bible to a tribal people in Guatemala. They labored amid hardship, physical difficulty, determined opposition to bring God's word to a tribe of people who never had it in their own language. This involved developing grammar, language, all of those things, the years of painstaking work with a translator named Santiago. They seldom returned to the United States because for many years Dave suffered from extreme back pain that left him in bed most of the time, but he was determined to finish translating the New Testament. Translation was finished in 1997. It was published in 1998. And Dave died six months later. As Carol spoke about what it cost them to translate the New Testament, her eyes filled with tears when she said many times they were told to just give up, to go home. But God was faithful and he gave them the strength to finish what he had called them to do. And on Dave's tombstone were engraved the words from Hebrews 12:2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. When I read their story, one of the first thoughts that I had was, you know, this was a mountain cast into the sea. Not a physical mountain of dirt and stone, although I believe that God could do that if he wanted to, but a, a great mountain, a mountain of impossibility. It was the mountain that Dave and Carol faced when they arrived in Guatemala in 1954. It was a mountain that grew larger through opposition and through his own physical suffering. It was a mountain that sapped every bit of Dave's strength till he had nothing left to give. And it was a mountain that ultimately took his life. But in the end, the mountain was cast into the sea. Let me wrap up this message this morning with a simple application. Writing on this text over 150 years ago, Charles Simeon commented that no prayer offered in faith can ever fail. 
Sometimes God answers exactly as we've prayed. Often his answers come in different fashions. Sometimes the answers are delayed for reasons that we can't fully understand. And sometimes God substitutes something even better in its place than what we've prayed for. Sometimes God gives us grace to bear what we ask might be removed from our life. But in all of it, God still answers our prayer. God answers every believing prayer. And the only limit on that prayer is our trust and our faith in him and the will of God. If our prayers are within the circle of God's will, we can ask what we will, and God, who knows all things, will answer that prayer according to his will. In the end, prayer is not a burden, and it shouldn't be a duty. Prayer should be a privilege. We should not be praying because we have to, but because we want to. And why bother praying if we don't believe that God's even going to answer us? So let's pray with confidence this week, expecting that God will answer our prayers. Nothing is too great to ask for, nothing too hard for the God we serve. So my encouragement to you is just keep on praying. Claim God's promises. Say to the mountain, be cast into the sea. And then stand back and see what God will do for the mountain in your life. Let's pray. God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we praise you. But this is only possible because of your presence in us. Otherwise, we are so easily distracted. We're diverted away from where you want us to be. We're distanced from your calling in our life. We're lost in our current situations. Forgive us for this lack of attention to your word and our failure to seek and to find what we need from the source of all of our joy. Help us, O God, to repent, to turn in the right direction, that we may fulfill your commandment to love you with all that we are and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Give us faith to believe that you can remove the mountains that we're facing in our life today if we truly seek you and trust you with our whole heart. Through Christ our Lord we pray.